Broadcast Network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Hey everybody, welcome back to Manhattan. Oh, there we go. We got a little Jake Owen at the beginning for you. I, I love him. He's an amazing artist. Hello everybody, welcome back to Manhattan, After Buzz TV's after show. We are doing season one, episode nine, a spooky action at a distance. I'm your host, I am your host, Marissa Serafini. And joining me actually via phone, we have Bobby. Hey, what's going on, Marissa? Sorry, I couldn't be there this week or next week, but I'm I'm here through the phone, so I'm around. Don't worry, you are still here, and we are going to do this after show, and it's going to be awesome. So, Bobby, this was a crazy episode. Yes, it was. <laughs> over just real quickly, what were your overall overall thoughts of this episode? I I thought that we learned more today. I shouldn't say learned. I guess we got more little twists today than we have in the first eight. And, and that's not to say the first eight were bad. That's just to say this one was crazy. I was sitting there watching it this morning, and I'm like, I'm taking notes, and I'm like, did that, did, did, did that just happen? Did that just happen? Did that just happen? Like, there's a lot of little things like that. I know. I wanted to text you while I was watching the episode. Oh, my goodness, this episode is really crazy. <laughs> so let's. I think I, when I texted you, I think I used, like, 14 A's in the word crazy. Like, yes. That's how crazy it was. It wasn't just a single A in crazy. We're 14. Oh, I, I definitely agree. It was definitely a crazy episode. And <laughs> let's just, let's get into it. Let me start with the craziness. We have Frank, and we have the, the, the aftermath of the Paloma scandal. And we see Paloma's cousin, Javier, actually goes to Frank and asks for a truck. And it seems like blackmail because it seems like Javier knew what was up. They knew that Frank was cheating with Paloma and there was a relationship going on there. What did you think of this? I, I, I thought that there's got to be something more to this situation because when you're, here's the thing, when you're as old as Frank and Liza are, not to say they're old, but they've been married for a long time, you know, the spark in their romance has kind of died or whatever, and then Frank goes and does this. Javier, to me, his blackmail wouldn't have just been, give me a truck or I tell Liza. Liza had an idea to begin with. I think we both know that based on a couple episodes ago. Mm -hmm. So to me, I can't help but wonder with Javier if there's a secondary motive, if there's even something else he's trying to blackmail Frank about. Lo and behold, we learn later that there might be, because that guy comes up to Javier and says, did he tell you, know, did he answer your question? But I think that there's something else going on with Javier I don't even know if he's actually Paloma's cousin, but there's something else going on with this guy to want this truck to to threaten him so openly and to really be so... I mean, that threat about, like, you know, why don't you lock your doors? That's a really horrible thing to say. I I agree, and it was definitely, um, you know, red flags were were thrown up because the minute he said that, um, it makes me think that Javier has been... Spying on Frank for a long amount of time, knowing at the end of the episode, knowing that this mysterious guy who's been following Frank around 
and, you know, has all the notes that Frank has been with Paloma every single time they get together um, behind closed doors. It makes me think that Javier has been working with this mysterious guy for a long time. And, yeah. he, he, and again, and Bobby, you just mentioned that. Is he even Paloma's cousin? That that thought didn't even ring through my head. I, I believed that he actually was. So now I'm thinking maybe he wasn't. I, I, you know, I don't know, and it's it's a good point. I mean, how do you even? I just don't know, and I want to see more of Javier because I want to figure out what's going on with him. I want to figure out that story. I know they kind of get into it, you know, a little bit when they're talking about, uh, uh, you know, the, the the land, his his sacred land, his people's sacred land, or whatever. But I think there's another motive for this guy. I don't just think it's sacred land for him. I think there's something else. Okay, um, I th- I think it's interesting how you think. Um, that for this particular episode, I only got the idea that he was just trying to figure out, as everyone is trying to figure out what is actually what these men are working on in the Manhattan Project. Why are all these explosions keep going off? Why are they having this project on their sacred land? So I only had the idea that they were only in it for one piece of information and really nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's true, too. And they Listen, the government at some point is going to need to answer why they have these explosions on the land, right? I mean, it's terrible what's going on mm-hmm. in general. Radiation aside, you're going to have to answer to somebody at some point. So it makes sense that the natives are, are, are starting to get a little reference. Yes, absolutely. But fortunately for Frank, he we see that he, Frank goes to his friend Lazar, who's actually in... Um, and works with the army because he's the one that takes pretty much keeps track of all the detonators and the TNT for you know the army and keeps track of all that. And he goes to Lazar asking for more TNT, more detonators, and tr- pretty much kind of going behind everybody or going around the middleman and just going straight to the source to get more things for his project. And fortunately, Lazar actually helps him with the whole Javier situation. Because they know it's blackmail, and Javier has the truck, and they they gave him the truck, and that's all the information that, or that's really the only thing Javier wanted was the truck, and but trying to get more information, just a little, like slip a little bit more information, but they they don't budge, which is good because it shows Frank's loyalty towards the army, towards all the confidentiality that's going on, and I liked how they used Lazar's relationship in in that aspect. Yeah, they use Lazar as kind of a foil. One one last point for me on Javier. Marissa, I know you're a huge movie fan. I'm sure you've seen Apocalypto, mm-hmm. the Mel Gibson-directed movie. Yes. Um, Javier, the, the actor who plays Javier is Raul Trujillo. He played the lead bad guy. He played the, the, the bad guy in uh, Apocalypto and did a magnificent job. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see the difference between the guy he plays eight years later in Manhattan, and the guy he plays in Apocalypto. The man he played in Apocalypto in 06 was very, very muscularly strong, but equally as intimidating. And I think if Trujillo gets to play Javier in that same kind of almost sadistic, scary, sociopathic way, it's going to be really creepy and really cool and will add kind of a wrinkle to the story. Because I don't know about you, I was more intrigued by Javier then I was intrigued by Lazar. We get introduced to both of these guys today. Lazar didn't do it for me as much as Javier. The problem is I have a feeling Lazar is probably more of a recurring character than Javier might be. I, I hope so. And I hope Lazar plays a bigger 
role because right now the main story is the conflict between Frank and Javier, not Frank and Lazar. But yeah. I like how Frank kept going to Lazar. He was very persistent, as Lazar said, the three different times to ask and pr- properly, I, I guess you could say. But I think Lazar is going to play a bigger role in the whole project of Manhattan when he's the one who's in charge of the TNT and the detonators. And also, Frank did mention Albert Einstein's name, which, Bobby, you and I have been talking. How are they going to work Albert Einstein into this um, into the show. Did you like the way that they name-dropped Albert Einstein? I, I guess that's kind of like how you'd have to name-drop Albert Einstein. You know, it's like <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't really mention him casually, just be like, I got off the phone with Albert, here's what I think about implosion. <laughs> like, like you, have to, you have to do something like that, where at a big, important piece, you kind of drop his name as a way to get somebody, to convince somebody to come to your side or whatever. So I guess it... Uh, I don't know. I guess I kind of liked it. I, w- I still wish that we can see Albert Einstein. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but yeah. I think it would be cool. We saw Niels Bohr. We've seen Oppenheimer. You know, give us Einstein. Yeah, I would love to see Einstein. But again, going back, and don't mean to repeat myself too much, but Albert was at the beginning of the Manhattan Project, and we're already in the middle. But yeah. I do like, because, you know, we've been speculating how are they going to throw Albert Einstein, because he's a, li- um, a reputable name. and But I... I think the only way that they name-dropped him via, um, you know, Frank doing research on Lazar and knowing that he worked for the Navy Ordinance and knowing Albert, and Albert gave the personal recommendation, I think that's the only reference to Albert Einstein we're going to get in this show, unfortunately. so. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think the time has passed for him, and it would, it would, truthfully, it would very much distract from what's been going on recently if he does pop up, unfortunately. Yeah, and I agree. And even if they, as much as we do want Albert Einstein in person in a real life portrayal, I don't know how his storyline would fit into what's currently going on. Yeah. Okay. So, other than that, is there anything else about the Frank Javier topic that we might have missed? Well, let me think. I mean, the, the obvious big thing for me is is when we first meet Lazar and he's standing literally on the bomb target on and the, the target. thing detonates in the air. Now, here's an important thing to remember about uh, the Enola Gay, about the bombs being dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. When those bombs dropped, they detonated in the air above the ground, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they, didn't, they didn't hit the ground and detonate on impact. And so we see today that the airplane has the capability and they have the technology to aim the bomb and detonate it before it hits the ground. Obviously, the bomb today was much, 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 much smaller than, you know, an atomic bomb is going to be because Frank wasn't affected by it. But it's still interesting to see that they've now, it looks like they've tweaked that technology and they've maybe have the timing down right. So they're definitely getting closer. They're running bombing tests. All that's left is to put the actual bomb that works onto a plane. But but that's, you know, easier said than done. Yes, <laughs> a- absolutely. And I just, uh, you saying that, Bobby, I have a prediction now with uh, Frank and Lazar, so don't let me forget that at, at the end. Uh-oh. But there, I did like the, the quick moment where when they were standing on the bomb targets and Lazar was counting. He only got to seven seconds, um, and then the bomb uh, exploded. So it makes me think that... They actually were aiming for a bomb that was supposed to implode on actual contact with the ground instead of up in the air. So, I mean, we'll we'll definitely find out more about um, bombings and hopefully see a few more bomb tests. 
I, this is the first bomb test we saw, at least at least in the in the um, in the quintessential air. way that maybe you and I envisioned a bomb test, which is being dropped out of an airplane to the open desert floor in New Mexico. This is the first one of those that we've seen. So I'm ready to see some more. This is what I came for. Yeah, and one of the first bomb tests that no one actually got injured in. So, <laughs> I mean, that is definitely progress. Yeah. All right. So I just want to take a quick minute to thank everyone on YouTube and iTunes for rating, commenting, downloading our Manhattan After Show. We definitely appreciate all the comments. You guys have been great and giving us amazing feedback. We do read all of them, and we love it. We, you know, keep keep commenting, keep rating, and we only have four more episodes left. The sh- the season's almost over. Let us know what you think, and you know, keep the show going. We we love to hear from you. And also, you know, just um, keep keep rating all, all the other after shows because the fall schedule is coming up, and we have a lot of stuff down the works. So definitely, just keep in touch. All right, let's get into speaking. You know, this cra- this crazy episode just give, keeps getting more crazy. Abby and Elodie, we finally oh, see Lord. Elodie come back after the whole mysterious night that Abby and Elodie spent together. What did you think of Elodie's return and how she was acting towards Abby, brushing off like, "Yeah, hey, it was fun," but do you think? Well- Yes. Uh, look, I, I think that Abby. I think that Abby is more and more entertaining this idea. You know, I think she was horrified mm-hmm. by Tom, and we'll talk about Tom in a minute, obviously. But I think she's more and more entertaining this Abby idea. She hung out with her. They almost kissed when Tom, you know, abruptly comes in. Abby didn't pull away from that kiss. She yep. was going in too. And then you've got Ellie saying like, "I want to taste you" or whatever. How much more graphic can you get on a television show? Oh my lord! Like. Clearly, there's something there between the two of them. I don't know. I mean, Marissa, do you think that Abby is doing this or interested in Elodie because she's bored, because it's something to do, because she's not getting whatever at home because Charlie's working? Or do you think there's like a romance-love connection that might be blossoming blossoming here that's even more than the physical side? At first, I thought it was just out of boredom, and she, and like you said, that she's not getting the reciprocated love from Charlie when he's home. But also, it's just Elodie is more the assertive one, and she's the the more dominant in this relationship, and she's the one who's letting on Abby and then, you know, starting this relationship and keeps requesting and, like, giving her that shot at work and, you know, letting, like, pretty much, not, I shouldn't say prying, but she's really egging Abby on, but Abby's the one that's allowing everything to happen, so it makes me think that Abby does actually enjoy it, and in the end there might actually be a deep down feeling that she's starting to really develop real true feelings for Elodie. And I think that Tom, what what Tom did to Abby with the whole groping and coming on to her, I think that's all the proof we need that Abby is, is at least interested in Elodie, because Abby resisted Tom so severely. We know she didn't want that. Mm-hmm. She never resisted Elodie. She came right out into it. She wasn't wasted drunk this time. They may have been drinking a little bit, but she was not wasted drunk. She definitely had her faculties about her, and, and she kind of toyed with this Elodie thing, and you could see it there. So I, I think Abby is 
she's game, man. I don't know what it means, but she is game to do something. She's definitely game. And also on Elodie's side, if Elodie knows that Tom is this kind of a dark, mysterious man and he is... He does do dark things, such as, you know, try to make a move on Abby. It makes me think maybe that's why Elodie's trying to you start another relationship with someone else, whether it be Abby or another man, or just that Elodie, you know, doesn't get the love from Tom. So it might be... Well, I, yes? Look, Tom's weird. There's a ton of problems with Tom. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of problems with Elodie. And I don't know if I'm alone in this. But at a couple different points in that scene, when, when Abby was there, they were staying for dinner, did you ever think threesome? Did that ever cross your mind? Because it sure crossed my mind. And not in like a guy's way, like, oh, it'd be cool to see a threesome. I mean, in just like a story way, Abby, I think, is emotionally weak enough to do it. She's vulnerable enough to do it. And Tom and Elodie, in their own rights, are both kind of predatorial. And so I kind of thought that, hey, these two might kind of push Abby to doing something she wouldn't otherwise normally do. Yeah, I, you know what? I didn't think through some because from all the times that we have seen Tom Lansfield, we know he's just the the a-hole kind of character. We're the, we, the audience, are led to believe that he's not the good guy. He's not the nice guy. We're not rooting for him. So when I saw those three together in a room, I'm already set as an audience member that I don't like Tom. I don't think he'd be up for a situation such as a threesome. So then, no, that did not cross my mind. Wow. I, I thought I thought because Tom's such an asshole, he'd definitely be up for it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that either. Also because Elodie was also when Tom walked in and they, you know, separated like shrapnel that Elodie is keeping this relationship from keeping this a secret from Tom so Tom is not in on this that's true I thought that I the only way that I can um maybe legitimize that because that's a good point you're right about that the only way that I could legitimize that is if Elodie is Elodie is so aggressive to Abby perhaps because Elodie has to play second fiddle to Tom Tom is the leader over her she then becomes the leader over Abby so maybe Elodie felt, I can't come on to Abby in front of Tom because Tom will feel betrayed. He has to lead that situation. You know, maybe that's reading way too deep into that. But if, but if she was, you know, making out with Abby when Tom walked in, Tom would say, that's betrayal. You're not allowed to make that decision. But if Tom makes the decision, then all of a sudden it's okay, you know. And that would definitely make a different dynamic. Also, I think Tom seems like he's the, the head of the household. He's the aggressive A-type personality compared to Elodie and so when you put them together Tom's the the dominant one but then if you put Elodie and Abby Elodie is the dominant one so I think this is why Elodie likes this particular relationship because she has the one up not Tom she has the power in a relationship so I think that's another reason why Elodie is really going on to Abby's because she likes the one to be on top So, but then, what did you think of Charlie's reaction when Abby told Charlie about this whole situation? I'm good on Abby for being straight up about it and say, hey, your coworker did this to me, instead of keeping this another secret to break up or keep this rift between Abby and Charlie. What did you think of Charlie's reaction or lack thereof? Yeah, good. 
look, look, good on Abby for telling Tom, but Abby's been keeping quite a bit, or for telling Charlie, but Abby has been keeping quite a bit from Charlie. So let's not let's not give Abby too much credit just yet. However, I agree. It was good that she told him. Here's the thing, and I'll write down what I wrote in my notes. Excuse my language, vulgar content warning. <laughs> in my notes when I was watching this, I wrote down, and I quote, Oh my God, their marriage has totally gone to shit. <laughs> because it, it has. It Remember has. how like, they were so into each other just weeks ago, and now everything about it's gone to crap. Obviously, Charlie has made a decision, and the decision is work is more important than my wife, you know? Even, even, not even, not even a priority thing in terms of hours worked, but mm-hmm. now his wife was sexually assaulted and he has decided that work is more important than his wife. That's, that's a, once you cross that line, you, you cannot go back. You will not go back. And that, this is a fundamental change in their relationship. Charlie's action speaks a thousand words and he sort of victim blames her where he's like, well, you know, all I can tell you is, Boys will be boys. Don't go, you know, be in that situation around them again. Stay away from him. It's like, wait a minute. It's not Abby's fault she went to dinner at her friend's house. Right. She wasn't at fault for this. This is Tom's fault. But Charlie can't see it like that because Charlie's obviously hiding a much bigger secret. Exactly. And, I mean, it's it's difficult to draw the line of what was right and what was wrong. We definitely know that Tom was in the wrong for everything that happened. But... Also, it's difficult for Charlie because he has to keep up his working business relationships in order, in, in the bigger picture of everything, he has to have both Frank's team and his team to work on this Manhattan Project. So, in the end, I'm not justifying that time getting away with sexual assault with Abby is okay, but I can understand why Charlie held back because he, as much as we don't like Tom. Charlie still needs that connection with Tom for work. Well, and it's good old-fashioned blackmail. Javier blackmails Frank in this episode, mm-hmm. and now Tom's blackmailing Charlie. There's a lot of blackmail in this episode. And yeah, this and we... just good old-fashioned, you know, put up or shut up. This is what I'm going to do if you don't do what I want. Kind of stuff. Yeah, and Tom says he has an eye on Charlie, and it's just a matter of time, and Charlie slips up, and then Tom takes Charlie's job, and he's the one who's in charge of everything. I mean, yeah, well, I, it's only, it's only, you're right that it's only a matter of time. And to me, it's only a matter of time. And I know we'll get there in a second, but it's only a matter of time until Charlie gets outed for doing what he's doing at work. That's incredibly risky. Really, it's a dumb idea. I know that this is the circumstances we find ourselves in, but it's a real dumb idea. And, and, and this is now Abby beginning to question. And we're going to talk about Liza at the end of this show and how the wheels are turning for Liza. Mm-hmm. The wheels are going to start turning for Abby because of what she's heard on the phone, and now because of what Charlie did when Abby told him she was sexually assaulted and Charlie did nothing. I think as naive and as innocent as Abby can be, she's got to start asking questions. She has to start asking questions, and maybe she's going to be key to unraveling this whole thing. I don't know. Um, I don't think, I mean, this might get into predictions territory, but I don't think Abby's the one who's going to be the key to finding out everything, I think it's going to be Liza. But we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Speaking of Charlie and all the teams in the work, we see Charlie and Frank at the end of last episode. We see them. They are now working together. They have a plan to have Charlie's Thin Man team, the team that has the more manpower, is now secretly working on the implosion rates of Frank's team. But... 
and, and then we also, not to jump all over the place, but beginning before that, we see Charlie, he accepts the job from Akeley. And now we know because he has that position of power, he can use and have his teammates work on Frank's numbers, which I thought that it was actually very clever of them. What did you think? You know, I really liked it. We didn't ever see the third condition. Remember in that first, in that first exactly. scene, you know, Charlie's like, I got three conditions. The first one was information strictly need to know, better security. The second one was rattle testing all the work down to the last data point so they could change faulty numbers. And then AP said, what's your third condition? And it cut away. And so we cuts. never learned the third condition, although we can make some assumptions about it. Um, but it's interesting to see how Charlie and, or Charlie and Frank, excuse me, Charlie and Frank are pretty smart about who they're getting involved where. Like when you have Charlie take Helen, and at first we get worried that Helen's in trouble, mm -hmm. and then we now see why Charlie took her to have an insider on the job. It's, it's pretty shrewd by them. It's a huge risk. But it's pretty damn shrewd by that group to do what they need to get done. I liked it. it. It was very shrewd and also very clever and sneaky also because it was just if you have a team member from one team and then coming over to the next one, it, it's really for appearance sake and to keep up those appearances to be like this is a very secretive um, secretive project that we're working on, and it's really just for appearance sake on the outside. But what did you think of Helen going to Frank, finding out that Frank was the one who actually suggested her transfer in the first place just for a few IBM machines? Well, that's what he told her, but I think once she got there and found out, once she got to Charlie and found out what was really going on, mm -hmm. then it made sense. It, it does it, make sense. If Frank had told her straight out, I transfer you there because you're working on implosion or whatever, who knows how she would have reacted? Who knows? If, you know, the less people that know, the better. And once Helen figured it out, I think it, it made a little more sense to her. My big concern with this is how, how, how long can you keep the entire team in the dark? How long can you keep Akeley's team in the dark before somebody figures out something from some equation that they're working on? It's just the risk is too great. You can't. You can't hide a huge secret from that many people for that long. It's just impossible. It's a huge risk. And the fact that Helen figured it out within the first day there, and Charlie also says he's working with a bunch of foxes that think they're hens, is just a matter of time. So if Helen could figure it out within a few hours on her first day, we're eventually going to see some of the men figure it out, and that's going to literally explode in their faces. And listen, and listen, Tom has already figured it out. Let's not forget, based on what Tom told Abby, it appears that Tom may have figured it out. So, you know, it, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. Um, but I do like the, the crossing over of teams, and but we still do have the separation between Team Thin, Thin, team thin Man and Team uh, Implosion. Well, we'll call it them. <laughs> Um, with uh, Team Implosion, still trying to figure out Implosion after I thought, well, honestly, I thought last episode we were going to give up on Implosion. It was impossible. But it seems like they're still going because theoretically Implosion is the way to go and it can work so long as we do the math correctly. But we. This, this is, well, this is what really confused me. This is a continuity point I don't understand, not in history, not in the real story but in this story on screen, because the last couple episodes, it's been made very, very, very clear to us that it's not just that they thought 
implosion couldn't work or they couldn't figure out the equation. The British guys took months and months and months and learned that definitively implosion does not work. Like the math never syncs up. So it's like it was it was it was never presented to us as like we couldn't figure it out, there might still be a chance. It was presented to us as kind of scientific fact by these British guys that implosion is a physical impossibility. So mm-hmm. I'm just a little confused on like, wait a minute we're still trying implosion, even even though we've been definitively told it doesn't work? Like, why were we told that if we're still trying it? That's one fundamental thing I, I don't can't quite match up. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I was in the same boat because we were told that it doesn't work. Okay, move on. And here they, they still bring it back, which, I mean, I don't mind it because now that they do bring it back and the audience has the renewed hope that it will work, now it has to work because we've had several episodes saying it doesn't work, but they, they're still keeping it around. It has to work now. So I, I love how uh, Team Implosion decides to take a few mushrooms to, you know, help, you know, relieve, relieve, their, stre- relieve their stress and try to figure out implosion rates. What did you think of uh, uh, Meeks and Fritz and <laughs> um, the, those guys, you know, just having another fun night? Well, first off, poor Fritz, because he got those mushrooms from one of Jeannie's clients. <laughs> poor guy. Just like, like, dude, just like make it official with her already and make her stop doing that. Like, come mm-hmm. on. Um, but yeah. that being said, um, no, like it, a- it, it, was pretty, it was pretty funny. I don't know. I mean, Meeks and, and Paul and those guys are kind of a motley crew of, uh, you know, I don't want to say idiots because they're very smart but some of the things they do are pretty idiotic. So it's fun to watch them. It's always good humor. It's just very, it's a good deal of levity when everything else is serious. Hey, I'm all for it, you know? It was funny. Right. It, it was definitely the, the levity of the story, the comic relief that compared to all the other dramatic things. I found it really entertaining when they were, they're, they're more funny on mushrooms than they are drunk. <laughs> And, you know, them walking into barriers and just laughing their head off. That was pretty comical, I will say that. But I did love how they actually used this moment to have a breakthrough. And then they go rushing back to the office, and they're writing on the blackboards all these calculations that look like it would work. But when they wake up the next morning, it shows that they were doing the calculations, and then they ended up just drawing cartoon figures all over them, <laughs> therefore making all the calculations null and void. What did you think of that? that? That's hilarious to me. That, And I think it speaks to this idea that, you know, a lot of artists have this idea, whether you're a singer, a musician, an actor, or whatever. So many artists get this in their head that, like, you're, you're, you're more creative, your mind is more open when you're under the influence of something, and it's actually the opposite way. Your mind actually works better when it's clear and when it's not being influenced by something. But we've had this very pervasive myth in this entertainment culture or whatever, this arts culture, that, you know, you got to smoke this and take that and drink this and your mind will open up, this psychedelic idea. And it's right along there with the mushrooms, and they take it, and it's sort of, they're in this funk, and they're kind of like, whoa, we get it now, let's do it. And then they, they truly sober up, and they say, wait a minute, we weren't more creative, we didn't solve anything, we were drawing cartoons on the board, and we thought we were solving the war, you know? <laughs> it's like, of course we weren't solving anything, you guys were messed up. Yeah, but, um, yes, they were messed up, but I was just hoping that this 
their breakthrough, the rate of absorption and metabolism. It was a genius idea. And when they were explaining to us whether how high they were or not, it made me think that, yes, this is the key ingredient to their project that will make everything happen. And then I was very upset the fact that I thought they were going to have a legit breakthrough and end the episode on a high. And I was like, yes, we have a one-up over Team Thin Man. And sure enough, they just got... You know, they went up a few pegs and then they got knocked down. It's like, take a step forward, take five steps back. And I was just hoping that this was the moment that can push team implosion before Frank, uh, before uh, Akeley's team. So, Listen, we've been, we've been hoping this was the moment for nine episodes now, right? We've been cheering, we've been cheering for those three guys plus Helen for nine episodes. And it's like, you know, show me the day when it comes. I have a feeling, as far as we've gone in season one, I have a feeling maybe that moment won't come until season two. Who knows? Or maybe that moment will come near the end of the season, whether it be the penultimate episode or the finale, which I hope we don't have to wait that long because, again, I was hoping it would be in tonight's episode. Therefore, we had the next four episodes to go off of the that vital information and progress the story forward not take us back a few steps you know yeah yeah okay but and and also just like real quickly i think this is just another situation where they could have done something but then this like just in the project in general for everybody that the all these barriers and things that hinder them from progressing which bothers me <laughs> Listen, they're not all like type A. They're not all motivated. They all have their own little problems. Mm-hmm. Fritz, Fritz is in love. Paul is busy having sex with Helen. Meeks, Lord knows what he's doing. And Frank has his own issues. So it's like yeah. these guys can't even get out of their own way. And you know, they're trying to they're trying to end a war. They can't even get out of their own heads. Yeah, and their own demons that hold them back. And also, we find out that Paul's in love with Helen. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see where that one goes because Helen now has told Charlie she's quote screwing Paul. Screwing Paul, which is a weird thing to tell Charlie. Why would Charlie care? I know that they may have had some kind of emotional connection, but I think Charlie's pretty much over that. You know, why would he care? Yeah, because uh, also I was just going to ask you, why do you think Helen told Charlie? Because if we know that Charlie doesn't care, does it show that Helen was the one that cared, and she's the one that wants likes Charlie instead? Instead of the other I, way I think, I think Helen's kind of a sociopath. I think Helen Helen mm-hmm. has some other issues going on, and I don't think she's capable of caring about anybody. I think she just needs to win in every relationship and every situation she's in. And she can kind of skirt by. She knows how to be polite. She knows how to be professional. She knows how to be whatever. But she can sort of skirt by and act in those ways. And then when it comes down to it, I think she only cares for herself, hence her behavior, which is true of a lot of us but hence her behavior, and, and I think she's sort of telling that to Charlie, not because she cares about Charlie, but she's trying to dig the knife in and kind of be like, you could have had me. Oops, you didn't. Now yeah. somebody else has me. Sorry. you know. And, it, and for Charlie, it's like, well, great, I'm married. But to Helen, it's, it's always a competition. It's always like, I'm better than you. I need to remind you. You could have had me, but you can't now because I found somebody better, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and I also... That being all probably true, I also felt that this might be the one situation where she might actually did have real feelings for Charlie. So, maybe not. And Okay, so let's get to Liza. 
We see that, you know, with Liza, she's a botanist, but now she's working at the hospital. And she's taking care of the uh, the, the babies. Well, what did you think? Was this a surprise for you, Bobby? I, can I, I'll, I'll do another note reading. It involves more profanity, if that's okay. Okay. The, la- the last thing on my notes for the entire episode, when we see this Liza scene come to a head and fade to black, my last note is, holy fucking ass shit, all in capitals <laughs> with nine exclamation points. Because, listen, we, we just talked about this off air. Liza is the wrong person to find this stuff out. Yes. She's too smart. She's too capable. She's too much of an investigator. She's too intelligent and self-aware. For anybody to find out what's really going on, Liza will be the one. If Abby had found out, if Elodie had found out, whatever else, they would have been concerned. They would have been worried. But for Liza to find out, she's not going to go to Frank and cry about it. She's either going to confront Frank about it or she's going to investigate like crazy on her own. So... You know, sorry, United States government, but now Liza's on your back. She's a bulldog. No, I completely agree. And the thing that makes Liza different from any other girls on that uh, in that area, you better be like Callie or Abby, who f- who figured out Liza would be the one to find out this information and actually do something about it. And the others, the others would probably question it, but just sit back and it was like, okay, let it happen. You know, it is what it is. But Liza's the one who's smart enough to take the initiative to talk to all the right people and make a fuss out of, uh, about it and let the whole community know. And therefore, the whole Project Manhattan is no longer confidential. Everybody knows about it. And she's also the one who's smart enough to understand what the Geiger counter means, what these readings mean, mm-hmm. what's really, you know, not only how to use the equipment, but what this really means, why all of her flowers weren't growing, who yeah. might have killed the bees, all this kind of different stuff. Liza's the one who can truly put two and two together, and she's got a great memory and is very intelligent. She can go back and think about all the stuff Frank's been doing, and she can think about all that she's seen, and I think it's only a matter of time until she says, oh, Lord, now I know. You know, my eyes are open. Yes, I, exactly, exactly what you said. Also, I I have to give it to Liza to be this planned ahead and this calculated to get to a position where us as the audience knows that she's already fish out of water. What is she doing there? There has to be some motive behind it. And we do find that out, that she's there for more information. She stays overnight, uh, like throughout the night, pretending, making the front that she's still working. But other but actually, she's just snooping around, and she finds that Geiger counter and the babies. I I think that was really smart, Eliza. And also, now she's surrounded by medicine, so maybe that can help aid any any of her projects or just. You know, she can go into, you know, the doctors. Um, offices and find out what kind of medicine that they're prescribing to their patients and just figure it out from the medicine. Um, you know, all the conditions that are going on and what's happening in the environment. So, yes, and I put down in my notes two and two together, just like you, Bobby. Well, here's, here's my only question about Liza in this situation. She was working at the office. The doctor comes in and says, hey, are you still here? You should have gone home an hour ago, implying that she's not the overnight worker. Then he leaves, implying he's not the overnight worker. And then she's alone in the clinic with a bunch of newborn babies. Where was the nurse who's going to take care of these babies overnight? You can't leave a newborn for more than, like, two seconds. Yeah. Like, where was the where security was the I, in general? <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah, where, just, where were I'm the night nurses? Confused. 
yeah, like, where were the night nurses? How was she so alone? Maybe there's a shift change coming up, but, like, if everybody else was gone, wouldn't a shift change have already happened? That was just a little hole in the story. Is how did she get so alone with a bunch of newborns? I don't really understand that from a I, practical point. I agree. I was questioning that myself. I was like, she's alone in that room for a long amount of time, and no one has walked in yet. So, I mean, we'll, we'll find that out, I guess. So... Hopefully, and hopefully she'll find out everything as well. So is there anything else about this episode? I mean, crazy. I think the the one word to describe it is definitely crazy. Oh, man. Let's, let's get to predictions because I know you're going to have some good ones. Yes, let's please. Please do. Let's. And now, your After Buzz TV predictions. All right, Bobby, you can go ahead. Um, oh boy, where do I start? Okay, I guess my first prediction, we've kind of been talking about it, but Liza, Liza is going to be a force to be reckoned with, obviously. She's the kind of person who, like, I don't mean to make light of this, but like, she will write a letter a day. You know how, like, old people don't have much to do, and so they, like, write letters to their congressmen, like, every day about stuff, and they write letters to cable companies? And that's a funny thing, but this won't be funny to her. But she has that same tenacity, and she's got the same time, because up to now they haven't let her do anything. So as smart as she is, as cunning as she is, and as capable as she is, she's the kind of person who will write letters to, I mean, I don't know, the president. She's going to write them to every single person she can. She's going to raise a stink everywhere she goes, whether it's outwardly or more internally, because she needs to find the best strategy. But Liza is the one person you didn't want to find out about all this stuff because Liza will not quit. She is tenacious, and she will make life a living hell for Colonel Cox, for Akeley, for whoever else she needs to make life a living hell for. Mm-hmm. It will not stop. She will not stop. I agree. She's she's not a force to be reckoned with. Also, to, to add to that, I think because we see for a quick moment in tonight's episode, uh, Charlie and... Frank are talking outside Frank's actual house and Callie's yeah. kind of overhearing everything. I mean, she's still in the vicinity. I think Callie heard everything. And from that information, Callie's going to be asking all the right questions too. And if Liza finds out and Callie find out, it's going to be mother daughter teaming up against going interrogating against Frank. What's going to happen? And that's going to be a whole family dramatic fight. Or well, hey, argument that's going to go down. I've got a good Callie prediction now that you mentioned that. Okay. Callie, if she finds out, if she heard anything, if she feels like something's going on, who can Callie go to? Who does Callie talk to? Dunlavey. Boy, who exactly? Dunlavey. Mm-hmm. I think Callie could go to Dunlavey and say, hey, you're in good with Colonel Cox. Here's what I hear that's going on. Here's what I heard my dad talking about. What do you know about this? Tell me some information. And I think Dunlavey is in love with Callie as he is, and as impressionable and young and green as he is as a soldier, I think Dunlavey might do the wrong thing to the wrong person and really, really mess up. He already messed up once by killing Sid Lau, you know, whatever, even though he was commended for it. he He already messed up once by escalating a situation. I think he could mess up very badly by escalating this situation because it comes from Callie, and he's infatuated with Callie. And he could put the whole base in jeopardy. I don't know what would happen, but he could put the whole base in jeopardy trying to, you know, be a hero for Callie or impress her or whatever you want to say. He's impressionable. I No, I agree. So I think we are both in agreement that 
Liza, Kelly, and Dunleavy are going to be asking all the right people all the right questions. And that's definitely going to cause a lot of problems. Also, one more prediction. I think we see that Lazar knows, you know, bomb and timing detonations and implosions or, like, imploding time. Um, I think Frank is going to be working with Lazar more. So Lazar is definitely going to come back. And we're going to find out more. Hopefully Lazar actually knows because Lazar's an engineer. He works with numbers. He's going to be brought onto Frank's team to help with this project too. So and, and figuring out the bomb explosions and more bomb tests, which will be fun. And, and last question for you from me, Marissa, because I'm curious. Who do you think that guy is who went to Paloma and Javier asking if Frank had answered the question? Who is that guy? We still don't know. And I don't know who he works for. I'm I'm imagining the government. Or is he a spy himself that's posing as an American and asking? See, that would be interesting because he obviously didn't have, like, a German accent. It wasn't obvious that he was, like, a German guy. He wasn't wearing, you know, a swastika on his arm. Like, it's never going to be that obvious. But, like, is he a spy? Is he an infiltrator in some way? Or is it is it a double agent kind of thing where he's a government worker and he's posing as something else just to get information to try to bring Frank down. I want to know who that guy is. I so do I. I want to know who he is, but maybe just for fun purposes, we'll we'll call him a spy trying to figure out everything, because <laughs> we, we see a lot of spy actions going on. And who knows? I mean, people are calling Sid Lau a spy, but he didn't have an accent. He's on the outside. He was mostly American, so maybe this guy is also a spy too. We shall find out, and that'll be fun. All right, Bobby, it's been fun talking to you. Where can everyone keep talking to you for this uh, awesome keep, show? Keep talking to me on Twitter. I am at Bobby DeMuro on Twitter. So tweet me. I'll be back. Next week I'll be on the phone again, but I'll be back after that for the last couple episodes. Yes, absolutely. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at TV. You can follow all of us here at AfterBuzz on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those fun places at TV. Keep grading, keep commenting, and we will see you next week for our After Show. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.